Section 3 of the River, Volume 1, Number 21. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The River, Volume 1, Number 21, edited by Sebastian Smith and Lawrence Libri. Section 3, Timothy Tuttle or Reminiscence of the Land Fever, by Nathaniel Dirac. In the summer of the year in which the lords of certain imaginary cities in the empire state at two dollars per foot were exchanged for bogs down east at ten dollars per acre a fair business transaction there lived on the latter region and in the village of tabbyville one timothy stutter he was short and thick in fact a mere animated lump of fat and yet no exquisite ever regarded his own person with more complacency for having in the course of his reading seen the remark of quintilian relative to thucydides densus et bravis et semper and sassibi and supposing that the critic referred to the outer man rather than to his style he was wont to pride himself on his resemblance to that great historian timotheus tuttle or master tuttle as he was usually called had for a long period taught the rudiments in one of the town schools at tabbyville we believe in the third district and always to the satisfaction of the committee if there be any doubts on this point we can refer to numerous testimonials signed by said committee or committees rather for rotation in office was the order of the day and by parson briggs his forte was in reading writing including german text and arithmetic in geography he could point out the difference between a cave and a permanent tree but he never sowed to the use of the globes he also styled himself professor of languages and it is admitted that he had a sufficient smattering of latin to attempt with this pupil some portions of virgil there were other portions however particularly the georgics against which he entered his veto his excuse was that they were not fitted for the age he could have added with more truth that he was unable to construe them in addition to the solid branches master tuttle cultivated psalmody and although from shortness of breath he failed on the oboe, he was unrivalled on the wire this knowledge of music rendered him a great acquisition to the people of tabbyville and not only operated as an open sesame to all their parties but raised him to the rank of chorister of the west parish and delightful it was to visit the vestry of this parish on saturday evenings and observe tuttle leading the choir in the thrilling compositions of bilgings and holden wonderful it was to find him so feelingly alive to the beauties of these great masters and infusing a portion of his spirit even into the dullest of his scholars leavening the whole choir then to see him as he grasped his bow with what gravity he applied the rose and how majestic as he waved it in the silent beat how languid in the pia how vigorous in the forte well was it for master tuttle that like honest falstaff he indulged in the singing of anthems as he thus relieved the monotony of a life otherwise insupportable artists indeed were his labours for as tabby will never employed a mistress to pioneer in the first lesson it was always tuttle's fate to have that greatest of trials to human patience the class in above of a truth he was saved by psalmody when others without his ear would have taken prussic acid or french leaf as it was he had even waxed fat an indication of contentment he felt assured that if he received but little he spent less for his family was small and his desires moderate such was the situation of master tuttle when the mania for speculation on timber lands which had raged so violently on the seaboard extended at length to tabover and parts adjacent for several weeks after its appearance master tuttle exhibited no symptoms of the disorder notwithstanding captain tarbox had cleared five hundred dollars by the sale of a bond and dr snaggs had refused an advance of two thousand on a recent purchase but deacon graves had also ventured and with great success having sold stumpage for three dollars which cost him two 
as a necessary consequence mrs grace found it extremely difficult to climb up the family wagon and the next sabbath she drove to the west parish in a new bellowstop chaise this was too much for mrs tuttle it had arrived as she was entering the meeting-house and she was induced to look back by the exclamations of wonder its appearance had occasioned there it was with its bright green body and its red wheels and red mrs graves too the top was thrown back in a blazing july sun mrs tuttle had no sooner reached her seat than she touched mrs martin who was in the next pew gracious said the former do you know that mrs graves has dashed out in a new bellowstop chase a real bellowstop was there ever well what is the world coming to sure enough sure enough will you and i have one thing to comfort us if we don't own a chase they cannot say of either of us that our mother was a jipkins no thank heaven exclaimed mrs martin we are clear of that blood and then who is deacon graves i should like to know i guess if your husband spoke to him in the dead tongues he would puzzle to answer this gave rise to a simultaneous titter with a rustling of lustring that was hardly in accordance with the sanctity of the place and would if continued have called for preserved censor fortunately the well-known creak of parson brick's shoes at that moment moving up the aisle put a stop to the merriment and to the defection of mrs graves it is probable however that the mind of mrs tuttle was less occupied with the sermon than with the bellowstop chase for on that very night master tuttle's rest was not a little disturbed by reason of a certain lecture on which the value of five trees was strongly urged coupled with some expressions about a want of energy and living the life of a bark horse he was probably convinced by the arguments then adduced for the next morning he dismissed his scholars announcing a fortnight's vacation soon after he was seen to leave the village on squire peebles mare and from the appearance of the saddle-bags upon which was fastened his old fear-knot it was evident he had started on a long journey master tuttle having ascertained that several townships in somerset might be purchased at a low rate as lands were then valued determined to dash at once into the heart of the forest and if he found a tract that fully answered his views to procure if possible a bond of it for sixty days this was the method usually adopted by those who were unable to purchase he expected before that period had elapsed with the aid of certificates and a plan of divers colours to dispose of it for a sum sufficient to place him on an equality with deacon graves certainly for enough to pacify mrs tuttle by the purchase of a bellostop chase about two weeks after the departure of a worthy pedagogue three persons were seen emerging from the woods in the vicinity of austin stream the two who were in advance had each a pack or knapsack they moved however with elastic step though their soiled and tattered garments indicated that their route had been one of no ordinary length and roughness the other though unencumbered with baggage toiled after his companions with some difficulty and was manifestly unfitted for threading the tangled mazes of the forest at this time he was bareheaded the right hand having fastened on the remains of his hat as a substitute for a fan while the left was actively engaged in squeezing vitality from the black flies which were roiting on his cheek and adorning it with indian mounds he certainly was never designed for a locomotive and he puffed so audibly that an investment in horse flesh with a like infirmity would have been extremely hazardous without a warrant of soundness this personage was timetheus tucker the others were hardy woodsmen whom he had hired for the expedition it is unnecessary to dwell on the fatigues they suffered the barren tracts they crossed the bogs through which they floundered or on master tuttle's inability to sleep through fear of catamounts he had an actual horror of being served up in a raw state for such uninvited guests and he had imbibed the notion that if the party were attacked he would certainly be the victim on account of their predilection for adipose morsels 
those who are curious in such matters will be gratified to learn that the harpers have now interest our adventurous journal entitled tribulations of travel by timothy stuttle fortune for once was kind to him when nearly worn out and despairing of success he entered upon the northeasterly corner of number six northridge containing about five thousand acres apparently well timbered and which must have been overlooked by previous explorers master tuttle began forthwith to make the requisite memoranda and having covered no small quantity of paper with his estimates of quantity of pine and its value in dollars he prepared to retrace his steps with all possible speed the sum total in expectancy had a visible effect upon his spirits so much so that in the commencement of his homeward journey he moved with such a rapidity of stride that placed him frequently in the van but after a few miles travel his movements became slower and his halts more frequent perhaps this might be attributed to his reflections on the vanity of riches perhaps to his redundancy of flesh it was nearly twilight when the party approached the banks of the kennebec at some distance below the forks and taking courage as they saw the sign of the mug and poker where they had left their horses they soon reached that most excellent inn desirable indeed was this resting place it being as a sign indicated a place for flip in which major saunders the landlord was without a rival and to which master tuttle had never manifested any decided aversion pleasant it was to observe the changes in the countenance of the latter while the major was preparing this nutritious beverage at one moment joyous as the contents of the mug hissed and mantled while embracing the ignited iron and then mournful as a portion curled over the sides and trickling in obedience to the laws of gravitation was thus inevitably lost we trust that the friends of temperance will not condemn if our fat traveller called for a second mug he was really dry and the major was the last of those who prepared that mysterious compound the march of intellect had banished the poker to that secluded spot and certain it is that the titillian draughts at other taverns if less inebriating were far less palatable master he was truly in the state called comfortable his anticipations of profits having increased with the first mug and his dread of catamounts having vanished with the second in this enviable mood he was ushered into the parlour as the landlord was wont to call it when to his surprise he beheld snugly ensconced in the armchair no less a personage than deacon greaves the latter expressed his joy at this unexpected meeting and so did master Tuttle. for though at tableville he indulged in a feeling akin to envy at the deacon's good luck it entirely subsided on encountering his old neighbour at such a distance well deacon who would have thought of seeing you up here and in search of a timber tract why as to property you have benjamin's portion already friend tuttle you wrong me i have no hankering for early pleasures life is short and a little suffices why then rejoined tuttle what would induce you to come my old complaint the asthma Dr. Snacks thought that the smell of the woods and sleeping on cedar boughs would work wonders. I can vouch for that, neighbor Grace. Subtignine, as I say to my scholars, for the last fortnight I've tried that kind of bed and I find it restorative not only for the stomach but for the pockets. What? cried the deacon. You have been lucky, eh? Beyond calculation. Such a body of timber. Why, the pines were so thick that I was fairly squeezed in passing between them. My dear Timotheus, where is it located? Point it out. Point it out. Mum's the word, Deacon. Quies quietus quidi. As I say to my scholars, it is a land of pure delight. Tol de roi de vidu. Master Tuttle, such levity is shameful. Why, sir, you are in the last stages of... Last stages? No, I ain't. I am in the rudiments. 
in the prima via, as I say to my scholars. Well, sir, I shall feel it my duty to report your situation to the committee. What deacon? Report a little exuberance, a mere oozing of the grosser fluids, wherever be sober then. And don't trifle with the neighbour who is so anxious for her welfare. Haven't I told you that I regard this world as dross? True neighbour, true. Verus vera verum, as I say to my scholars. Well then, just gladden your eyes with those estimates taken on the spot. 5,000 acres. Number 6, 9th range, north-easterly corner. 10,000 of clear pine to the acre, besides lord of spruce. And hack matag that will furnish lease for the whole of Uncle Sam's navy. Wonderful, Master Sufferer. But haven't you overrated? Falling short, short by 2,000. Mille, millia, milliorum. As I say to my scholars, now the owner must be ignorant of its value. And I shall get a bound of it at $2 per acre. For that purpose, I start tomorrow. Kuro, kurore. As I, tomorrow, cried Deacon Rose. No, not tomorrow. What would be the effect upon the youth at Tabbyville were it known that Master Tuffer rode on the Sabbath? Your usefulness would be at an end. Wait till Monday and we will return together. In the meanwhile, our time may be profitably spent in the reading of moral tracts, of which, fortunately, I have a large supply. This was by no means agreeable to Master Tuffer, but he dared not risk the loss of his school till he had secured the bond, and he was aware that he was in the deacon's power. He, therefore, reluctantly acquiesced, and having called for the major's nightcap another half month, he retired to lose in sleep all memory of his troubles. He had been in a horizontal position some thirty minutes when a voice in the entry was heard to exclaim, In what number is Master Tuttle? Number six, ninth range, was a response within, from one who was evidently in the state called dreaming. Thus directed, the inquirer, who was Deacon Graves, opened the door and approached Tuttle. After several shakes, he was sufficiently aroused to comprehend the object of his visit. The deacon informed him that he had just ascertained there would be preaching in the Sabbath, in the little village below. In that case, he had felt it to be his duty to attend the meeting, and, as it was contrary to his practice to ride on that day, he had concluded to proceed without delay. I shall there wait for you, said the deacon, and, as it is a case of necessity, perhaps you had better drop down about nightfall. Master Turtle expressed his surprise at this alteration in the arrangement so far as to open one eye, but it closed again ere the form of his neighbour had fairly receded. It may well be supposed that Sunday was a day of weariness to the impatient Turtle, and we are compelled to acknowledge that he was less interested in the moral tracts than in the major's poker. In the afternoon, he became somewhat more reconciled to his situation, having noticed among the jugs and bottles that adorned the bar a copy of the village harmony. This led to inquiries which resulted in the discovery that the major himself was no stranger to that great work. So far as regarded the soprano and that scabious locum, then in the barroom was the most powerful alto in that section. The voices of this worthy trio were soon in full cry, nor did they cease till the major's call for a candle admonished the chorister that it was time to commence his journey. It was late in the evening when Tuttle arrived at the village where he expected to join the deacon, but to his surprise he found only a note from him, in which he regretted his inability to wait, as intelligence from whom required his immediate departure. This was a great disappointment. He had no fondness for travelling in the dark without a companion, but he had already lost a day in the pursuit of Gray's tracts, and the vacation had drawn to a close. The result of his deliberations was to refresh man and beast, and pursue his solitary route. 
At the close of the second day, he had the satisfaction of reaching the town where the envied owner of number six ninth Ridge resided. Though worn down with fatigue, he recollected that delays were dangerous and proceeded at once to the proprietor's mansion. On gaining admittance, he was considerably agitated. It might be that he was even now too late, and yet if he manifested any anxiety about this favourite lot, it would serve only to enhance the price of it. Instead, therefore, of an immediate assault upon the citadel, he approached gradually and made what might be called his first parallel by some remarks upon the weather. In the second, he advanced to pine trees. I understand, says Tuttle, that you generally bond at two dollars per acre. Yes, that has been my practice, but for some of those townships, it is really too great a sacrifice. Why, as to that, it is about six of some and half a dozen of the others. I found more stones than trees. Arborus arborum, as I say to my scholars. But on the whole, I have concluded to venture a little. Well, Mr. Tuttle, you can have your choice. So I thought. And I rather guess, all things considered, I'll take a bond of 5,000 acres in number 6 ninth range. In that number, you can have 5, 10, or 15,000. Or 20, I suppose, if I wanted them, rejoined Tuttle, endeavouring to appear calm, but filled with emotions that might truly be called pleasurable. Not exactly, rejoined the proprietor. The northeasterly quarter of that township has just been purchased by a Mr. Graves. Had the point of a needle at that moment penetrated his epidermis, the leap of Tuttle would not have been less violent than it was at this intelligence. A cold sweat covered his forehead, the jugular became enlarged, and although certain guttural sounds were emitted, not a word was intelligible. Pardon me, cried Tuttle, when he had partially recovered himself. Pardon me, but that deacon, that hypocrite, that beech nut, that earthworm, that mammon of unrighteousness, has blasted all my hopes. Upon this, he flung open the door, discharging in his retreat such a volley of epithets as convinced the proprietor that his vocabulary must be large. We will not attempt to describe the feelings of our explorer as he entered reluctantly the domestic circle, nor, lest we injure the cause of Haman, will we lift the veil from certain scenes that followed. If he hummed a tune about that time, and he had that habit, it probably was not sweet home. That Mrs. Tuttle poured out the wails of her wrath is certain, and it is equally so that a few of the drops fell on her husband for being so easily duped. But the iniquity of David Graves caused most of the contents to fall upon his own head, and such was her indignation that it might be said the wails followed. Mrs. Tuttle was not one of those who could submit in silence to what she considered a gross wrong. The story began to circulate with the usual addenda at each repetition and soon became the engrossing topic of Tabbyville. The brethren of the West Parish now found it necessary to come forward and call the deacon to account. Several meetings were held and the charges fully sustained, and yet adjournments were moved and carried without coming to any definite result. Such a course served only to increase the popular clamour and gave rise to the remark that the wealth of deacon Grace would prove a sufficient shield and that iniquity in high places could be practised with impunity. Parson Briggs, who was imbued with the very spirit of that religion, which for a long period he had endeavoured to make acceptable to others, was resolved that his church should no longer be obnoxious to such a charge. On the next Sabbath, he gave a powerful discourse from these words, If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. He demonstrated that the cause of Christianity would cease to advance unless there was something like purity in the conduct of its professors. 
that the higher their standing in society, the greater the mischief when they violated its precepts and the greater the necessity that the offending member be removed. This was urged with an earnestness that went home to the heart. And when, at the close of the service, he requested the male members to stop, it was considered that the deacon was standing on slippery ground. Curiosity was on tiptoe and the crowd, instead of going directly home, lingered upon the steps and filled the entry. In the latter place, there was a momentary scuffle, and notwithstanding the exertions of the sexton, the three table boys maintained their post at the keyhole. At the solicitation of Mrs. Martin, Shea Bynes also mounted a block and, clinging to the window sill, endeavoured to secure the advantage afforded by a broken pane. But he had hardly obtained the desired position ere the sexton removed the prop, and Biles descended with a momentum that effectually checked all desire to renew his efforts. After nearly an hour of painful anxiety passed by those without, the meeting was dissolved, but the members, as they passed along, preserved a mysterious silence and answered inquiries by a shake of the head only, as grave as it was equivocal. The result of their doings leaked out, however, sooner than they expected. Sam Johnson had hid in the gallery. The sentence was, and it passed unanimously, that Mr. Greaves should pay to Master Tuttle $500, he having admitted that he could clear 5000 by the purchase, that he should no longer be called deacon and should be suspended till he had made the above payment, asked forgiveness of the church, and satisfied them of his repentance. This verdict was very acceptable to the community and added greatly to the popularity and influence of Parson Briggs. It was remarked that the Sunday following the meeting, house was unusually full, and the number since then has so much increased that an addition of 15 feet by sewing through the centre is seriously talked of. The last time the writer was at Tabible, a great change had occurred. The land fever had subsided and the description of number six as given by Tuttle was so far at variance with all other accounts that it was evident he had entered another lot. Mr. Graves was then endeavouring to compromise with his creditor by giving up his purchase, losing his first payment and with the conveyance of a moiety of the homestead to liquidate the balance. The Bellostop chase with green body was long ago sold at auction. It was now owned by Mrs. Tuttle. But in justice to that lady, we must add that she caused it to be painted brown out of regard to the feelings of Mrs. Graves and that the latter is to be seen on her left when she rides to the West Parish. Master Tuttle is now too unwieldy to gain admission. Nevertheless, he contrives to reach the gallery in season for the first tune and still sustains his reputation on the wall. Deacon Graves, for he is again a deacon, is an altered man and a prominent member of the Tabeville Association for Moral Reform. In a speech at a recent meeting, he urged the necessity of circulating tracts and would have succeeded in his motion had it not been seconded by Master Tuttle. The latter remarked that he could speak from experience on that subject, having derived no little benefit from them by only one day's reading, while at the mug and poker. This speech, while it flushed the countenance of Deacon Graves, disturbed in no small measure the gravity of the audience. Even Parson Briggs found it difficult to cry order, the corners of his mouth having a strong tendency upward in spite of his efforts to pull them down. Portland, Maine End of section 3 Read by Kriti Devedi, Gurgaon 3rd October 2021